Hey guys, before we get started, I wanted to invite you to our private Facebook group. All you got to do is head over to Facebook and type in unconventional leaders in your search bar. We have a powerful community over there of people who are going against the grain and making an impact in this world in their own unique way. We would love to have you a part. Again, that is unconventional leaders over on Facebook. The reason we don't give ourselves permission is because you're waiting on the one that you love deeply to give you permission. There's somebody in all of our minds and hearts that we want validation from. We want this idea to be accepted so that we can move forward. I've always felt a I was born with several falls. I have always felt small. I was told not to take risks. I may be blind, but I teach people how to see. And I'm proud to be an individual. This podcast is for you, the unconventional leader. Maybe you are the one that everyone discounted. Maybe you struggle with fear and self-doubt. We are here to empower the next generation of self-starters to step up. Use their voice and make an impact in this world. Never again wait on permission to do what you are called to do. That comes from today's guest, Gavin Dees. What's up? My name is Heather Parody. I am your host. Today, we're going to be talking about unleashing, unleashing your creativity and also being a white ally. What I love about Gavin Dees, he's a content creator who is using his platform in a unique way to encourage others to bring light and creativity and fun and comedy. But don't mistake that to mean that his message doesn't run deep, y'all. Gavin is using his platform to not only give life, spread hope, and what he says, raise up the encouragers, but also to use his privilege to give voice to others and speak about some things that might make you uncomfortable. But that's okay. But as he says, exposure ruins excuses. And today, Gavin shares with us some common myths in creativity that he is going to debunk why you do not need to wait on someone else's approval. You got to give yourself permission to create. How he as a white man understands the term privilege and what that means in terms of systematic issues. This is a really unique conversation. I'm excited to share it with you. Make sure you connect with Gavin over on Instagram and TikTok at the Gavin D's. He also mentions a couple of books, which are linked in the show notes. So definitely check those out. And hey, if you have a friend, an unconventional leader who's going against the grain, using their voice in a unique way, take a screenshot of this interview with Gavin, share it with them. Thank you for helping us get this message out into the world. All right, y'all, are you ready for this? Unleashing your creativity and being a white ally with the Gavin D's. Courage is needed now more than ever, in my opinion, in 2020. During this pandemic, during this quarantine, a lot of people got paralyzed and a lot of whatever was going on in your life got put on hold or pause or just completely disrupted. Maybe you lost your job. Maybe you lost a loved one. Maybe you lost something. To move forward in a time like this, you need courage. And so you needed the encouragers to rise up. And it's how that looks in my life is to make people laugh. There's an old like proverb that laughter is medicine for the soul. So for me, during a pandemic, making people laugh, which I got a lot of flack for that. It's like, hey, you're really, you don't need to be laughing right now. You don't need to be laughing or whatever um, because of what's going on in the world, what's going on in our country and all this different stuff. And, but I just knew that that was my lane just to bring 
thousands of people joy and making them laugh um, during a bad day is so important. So that's where encourager comes from. And I just want to impart courage into people. Um, and hopefully, um, after they encounter me or listen to me or watch one of my videos or listen to what I have to say that they walk away and like, Hey, I can do this and I have the courage to do it. So I've been wrestling with that idea myself because my natural bent is a little bit more kind of light, hyper fun comedy. I love all of that. And then sometimes I feel like this kind of weight and pressure of like, okay, if you want to make a difference in this world, you need to be leaning into something that's a little bit more serious and using your voice and fighting against something and all of this stuff. And the more I'm talking to like comedians and people who are putting out content like you are, the more I'm, I guess my awareness is raised like of this is what the world needs right now. And this is a very deep and meaningful contribution, comedy you know, encouragement, something that brings a smile to somebody's face. Can you speak to that a little bit about just the the impact that actually has on people's lives? To me, um, Jim Carrey, um, before he got into doing like comedy, um, but one of the, his whys, like he was doing it and not really feeling fulfilled. And when you're doing something and you don't really deep down feel fulfilled, it probably means you haven't found your why. Jim Carrey, he said something that I'll never forget. He said, when I was doing comedy, and people came into that room, they bought a ticket, they came to listen to me. I knew for the next hour, I was gonna help them escape from whatever they were dealing with. So when they walked into the room, that that issue with their relative or that issue with their boss or that issue at work or that issue with their family, or maybe they walked in with a health issue, in that moment, they were healthy. In that moment, that issue didn't really exist. Create an atmosphere to create a space, to create content that can allow people to to laugh and it's a safe place to just be that. I know I can't fix everything, but I can create a safe place through comedy to make you laugh and to uplift you. My videos walk a fine line um, in a lot of ways, um, but it's done with so much intention and it's done with so much purpose because I know deep down my why. And so that's for me is, is why I can do it with boldness and courage in such a time like this content creation? Was this in your wheelhouse before? What do you do day to day? Is this like your dream? You've always wanted to be a content creator and putting this stuff out. What's your life like really? Yeah. So I run um, a social media agency. So I'm in social media, but a lot of times I create and I use my creativity for other people. And so I help other people build their platforms. I help people, other people, I've helped other people grow tens of thousands of followers, helping you build like a following around whatever it is that you're doing, but I've never given myself permission to do it for myself. And so there was a lot that happened during this pandemic when we were all just stay at home order. And what happened for me, I was not a content creator before this pandemic. Um, I did not really put out content. I had been off of social media. I don't know, something rose up in me to get back in it. We actually had a recording here at my house with uh, like some singers and they were recording in my house. And I was like, they are in my house recording content for whatever they're doing. <laughs> and I was like, why am I not using my house and using like this? And so something in me, I was like, I'm going to start creating. Um, and I had zero followers and I've always dreamed about being it, but I never gave myself permission to do it. And so I just was like, I'm not going to wait on permission from anyone else. I'm not going to wait on an affirmation or somebody to accept this idea to move forward. I'm just going to do it um, and see where it goes. And now I was like, I'm a, I put content creator in my bio before I had all these followers. And so, um, so now I just am walking in it every day. The reason we don't give ourselves permission is because you're waiting on the one that you love deeply to give you permission. And what I realized, 
there's somebody in all of our minds and hearts that we want validation from. We want this idea to be accepted so that we can move forward. That one person has the most potential. I tell my wife this all the time, or I've I've told my mom this, because those are two like women in my life that mean a lot, that you have the greatest capacity to hold me back and vice versa. And so now there's things, my wife, she didn't really care. Not that she was like, hey, do your thing. Um, But it's not like, yes, go after your dreams. But what I realized, if I would have waited for my wife to like, yay, like do it. Or I would have waited for somebody to come and like, do it. Like, yes, that's a great idea. Um, I would still be sitting on the sidelines because nobody at point has still said it. And now through this process, I've actually found some of my people. I've actually found new community. I've connected with you. So, and I would have never been on this podcast if I would have never stepped out and just took that permission. So I think it's really getting over the one that you love and getting that one that you deep down that you know that you're waiting on that word from them and realize that it's probably never going to come. The one that you love. So interesting. Enneagram four. What does that mean? What does that mean about who you are? Enneagram four. So if you're familiar with the Enneagram, it's a individualist. I'm very, I'm hyper individualistic. I thrive in my own in my own mind, I thrive being an individual. It's hard for me to conform to certain ideas. Enneagram fours are very creative. I, my passion as an Enneagram four, as a creative, is to debunk a lot of creativity. Creativity has been like an elitist club. Content creation has been an elitist club. It's been, it's been the people that sit on the top of the mountain and then the people at the bottom will be like, well, I'm not really creative. I'm like, you just haven't found that. So as an Enneagram for like helping people find their creativity, helping people find ideas that work for them. That's what I do for a living. That's why I get paid. As an Enneagram for you can see when I walk into a room, for example, I see the one that no one's talking to. I see the one that is the life of the party I'm not interested in. I'm interested into the one that, that didn't have the courage to be there, but they showed up. Um, I want to know that person's story. And so when I walk into a room, that's my Enneagram 4 coming out. Another example, if you go to a party, like I'm not going to be bouncing from person to person to person to person talking. I'm going to find one or two people throughout the entire night and I'm going to go deep with them. And so, um, so those are just some examples from Enneagram 4. You would never want to go to a party with me because I'm a 3 and I'm the one bouncing back and forth and all that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm terrible at networking. I can tell you that. When I need to turn it on, I can turn it on, but I like to go like deep with just with just somebody. So, can we talk about the creativity piece? Because that just makes me all fired and excited. Uh, you put out some super creative content and kind of coming up with ideas and the creative process and the the courage to share it and uh, be a little loose with it, where you're not putting too much judgment on it. This idea of being an individual and pairing that with creativity. What a gift that is. But a lot of times we, we, we stare at this thing that we want to put out into the world and we overanalyze it and we freak out over it. We don't let it flow through us. How do we kind of let go of some of that control, uh, lean into our creativity a little bit more? My creative journey started like I think everybody's creative journey starts with there's this book that I read called Steal Like an Artist uh, by Austin Cleon, I think is his name. Um, so it's to really debunk that when you're starting, find people that you're inspired by and start trying to recreate what they're doing. What holds people back is trying to be original right out the gate. That doesn't, that's never going to work. And I'll prove it to you because Netflix was Netflix for almost 15 years before they started producing Netflix originals. All they did was house other people's content. They stole like an artist, built an entire platform and to build up the resources to create originals. So for me, like Netflix is this guiding kind of like beacon. There's so many other examples. 
of how everyone started. Um, but a lot of times when we get exposed to them on social media is after they've hit a blow up. And so you just start to try to jump in based on what you see. So for me, that's how it started. Um, like my first videos, like weren't completely original. I just made maybe modifications or put my personality in there. Um, and I tell people, you are the instrument. So when you do the video or you do the piece of content or you talk about a subject um, that somebody else is talking about or something else that somebody else has created, the difference maker is you. So it's immediately going to be different because you're doing it, because you have things in you, you have tone, you have a voice, you have this instrument that just by you doing it alone is an act of creativity because you're doing it. It's really getting outside of like judgment, um, not judging yourself, which is so hard, which is as, a, as an artist, as a creative, as an entrepreneur, as a business leader, like you are constantly comparing yourself um, you are constantly judging yourself. And so it's getting over that and putting it out and realizing I've had multiple viral videos that broke millions of views. The hardest thing that no one told me about was the next video. It's like, I'm just doing it because I love it. And I realize I have 126,000 followers and I still, I haven't even scratched the surface of who I am as a creative, who I am as an artist. And so I just, just put those reps in and don't judge yourself, steal like an artist. That's my, that's my wisdom for the creative process and to really debunk it. Guys, I'm going to link that book up in the show notes. So check it out. I haven't read it. I need to read that. So all this is cool, but I want to tell you what really stood out to me about you was these next two lines in your Instagram. And this is very personal to me and maybe not everyone listening can understand, but you putting one with Christ and Black Lives Matter side by side like that. I'm so curious about a little bit about your faith and you incorporating your faith into your content and then also to your advocacy work and speaking up about things that a lot of Southern, if you're living in the States, and we have worldwide listeners, but the Southern part of the United States saying some things that would ruffle some church feathers in the back. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? You mentioned earlier, you said that, you know, leaning, leaning on some lines and being comfortable with that and being bold with that. Is that easy for you? I think people, um, as it pertains to my faith, I'm never going to like project my faith like onto people. Um, that one with Christ is uh, where that comes from for me is like, I am one with like my creator. So I'm most like my creator when I'm creating. So for me, that is just that oneness. When I got married, you become one with your spouse. Um, you become an entity. You're still two individuals. Um, you're still single and married at the same time. So you work on yourself individually but you're still a unit. And it's this mystery that like, I think trying to explain it will lessen its impact. But so I don't really fully know how to explain it. But like, you know it when you're when you're in it, those moments. So that's kind of where that comes from. And there was a reason that I didn't put Christian in there because Christian is such a weapon. Christians are very like, and I'm white. So white Christian evangelical males like are very divisive. And so I have to walk this line, which, which the people that like I get the most flack from are white people. I, I, ironically, I think my journey comes from a deep conviction, um, which allows me, I don't, I didn't try to toe a line. And I remember in my journey, I would see somebody toeing a line and be like, man, like, what are they doing? But what I realized is what they're doing is they're walking in their purpose. So it looks amazing to everybody, but it is, it's, 
it's not as hard for them as it looks to everybody else. So for me, one year, one year before Ahmad Arbery, which was the first shooting that really set this whole thing like back into huge motion, one year prior to him, uh, that shooting was like my own faith began to deal with me, God. And I began to realize that my white skin doesn't belong to me. I began to have this overwhelming sense that I'm called to give away my privilege to other people, specifically black people. And I live in a community uh, here in Houston, the Fifth Ward, and it is uh, less than 1% white. And, and so for me, I'm very comfortable with this, like, the black community, with my, my wife is Mexican, with minorities, very comfortable. Um, but when he was shot that day, I was not on social media. I had really no followers. Um, the followers I did have on Instagram was from when I did photography or whatever. But when I recorded a video that really set me, like it launched me back into social media was why black people can no longer be the only ones talking about racism. And I recorded that video sitting, literally sitting on the street on top of a, like, like a sewage something. I just sitting on the street. And, um, and that video, like within the next 24 hours, got 20,000 shares, half a million views. That video was something that happened a year prior. Um, it had, it had happened. So people got to see where I had kind of been. Um, and I realized in that moment that like, when I say that my white skin, my privilege doesn't belong to me, that one with Christ, my faith pushes me to use anything culturally in America, I have privilege. And so I want to use my voice. If I keep growing on social media, I want to keep speaking up. I want to keep um, elevating black people. I want to keep using whatever I am given to give it away. So that's kind of like a little bit um, of a backstory of how I jumped into this um, and how and why I, I tow it. And I don't worry about the aesthetic of anything. Um, I don't worry about my bio. I don't worry about it disrupting my feed. I don't worry about it like any of that stuff. If I feel led to post something about Black Lives Matter or about whatever it is, like is, I'm going to just say it. And um, because it's coming from a deep, deep conviction. Where does that conviction come life. from? Like where, where's that passion in you come from? Um, I think I have a resonance with like the Black community and minorities because I was raised in that community in a very poor community. Um, and I realized, and I, like my mom is a single mother and that happened very early on. And I just saw what that happened and what, what happened. And so for me, like when I got out of that, I realized something in me was like, why aren't some of my friends getting out? And I, and I didn't know like in the moment why that was happening. Um, but I have racist, it's crazy to say, but I have racist family members, like have called me during this time I mean, they will use the N word, like, I mean, just crazy off the wall stuff. I started during this whole moment, I started to just sit and think and ask and just really diving into my history. And where did these moments come from? And so these memories started to surface. Um, when, um, when my grandparents who have passed away now, but like would say things about black people. And I'm like, I knew in those moments, those memories were stored but they didn't resurface until I was 26 or 27 um, later in my life. And, um, but they were still stored because I, I, I experienced something. There's a book out. It's called The Body Keeps the Score. So when you experience trauma, when you experience something, just because your conscious mind doesn't remember it doesn't mean it's not stored um, on the hard drive. And it'll come up at the worst moments. We've probably all experienced this. But for me, during this moment, those memories started to resurface like crazy. Um, and I knew I was like, 
there is purpose. I feel like this is a part of the reason why I'm on this planet. And I've been ashamed my entire life being white and I've never been proud. And so for me, I was liberated um, during this time to be proud to be a white person um, and to represent in a way what it means to be a white man, what it means to be masculine, um, what it means to be a person of faith and all of that in this climate. And so because people look like me, people that look like me are weapons to a lot of people. So that's where a lot of this personal conviction comes from. And I've experienced a lot of like trauma in my life. And so I very much so have a lot of empathy, not just sympathy. I have a lot of empathy because I've experienced a lot of what, a lot of oppression in my own life, a lot of abuse and things like that. So when I see it, like my heart just longs to help and longs to stand up for people. So I've got to ask you about that because you've mentioned that you were, you grew up in poverty. Mm-hmm. You've gone through abuse. You've gone through neglect. You've gone through things. And the the big thing that people will come back at you when you talk about privilege, white privilege, is I'm not privileged. I grew up in poverty. I've been abused. I've gone through a lot of struggles and stuff. And so for you to say that, yeah, I've been through this stuff, but I still have privilege. Yeah. Privilege is not an individualistic term. So where people get off is they make it about like person to person, but privilege is systematic. So for me, privilege is an example. My mom had a lot easier time. And this is when I was transitioning from uh, middle school to high school. She lied about the address that we were in to get me into the good neighborhood so I can go to the good school. For me, that was like an example. My mom, who was white, ended up getting three raises um, in the same year, which had never been done, while people of color are still stuck in the same place. My mom worked her tail off. And so it's not a discredit to anything that she did, but where privilege, where you can start to see it is the lack thereof of black people being able to come up with you. Doesn't discount like hard work. It doesn't discount the hustle. It doesn't discount those things if you're white, if you experience trauma, but you like some people never get out. Privilege, the most simple way I can describe it is you have to think about it in a systematic way. And when I talk about privilege, it's a systematic thinking about it. And it's not just like my life. And in America, everything is so individualized. When you get outside of America, things are very community driven. Things like you experience, even in the faith, like when you're like our faith it was so individualized. Um, it's just about your faith. It's your walk, your this, that, whatever. But it, it was supposed to be done as a community. Um, and so privilege became a conversation in the white community as an individualistic conversation. Um, but in reality, it needs to be a group. It needs to be, we need to talk about this as a nation or as a city or about policy or whatever. That's where it's different. And you may not have been individualist, like individually privileged, um, but the systems like favor you, whether it's like housing, whether it's the schools, whether it's like the school that I went to was heavily resourced. Um, and I didn't know that. Um, like, so you're just like, man, dude, this school is so nice, but you don't realize what is happening to make it so nice. And so now when I got exposed, there's a quote, exposure ruins excuses. Exposure, when you get exposed to something, it ruins every excuse that you had. And so um, for me, I just I just got exposed to new things. And I was like, you can't turn a blind eye to it. So that's, so that's the best way I know how to describe like privilege to people like that are white that may be like, well, hey, I was, I, I was poor, I was abused, and I was a single mom and all this different stuff. My mom, who was the brunt of the single motherhood, um, is a bigger like activist than I've ever seen. 
um, speaking at the highest levels of like companies, corporations and stuff. And I mean, it's just, she's gone through it. And so she, she's definitely a role model for me. Like during this time. Hope through all of this, I kind of circle back around to the beginning when we talked about how encouragement and, and, and laughing and all of this, you know, the, the, the stuff we put out into the world, how there is meat and meaning behind that and kind of coupling that with your burning passion. Cause dude, you're passionate and I love it. I know sometimes I can get so angry and frustrated and figuring out how to keep that passion burning and then move that in a very constructive way. How do you kind of balance and navigate those two worlds? One of the practical things is have a black voice in your life um, is having, who do you talk to regularly? Everyone I talk to that are really close to me that I open up to and they open up to me, like they're all black. I had for the first time, just to give you an example, this was two days ago. One of my friends, his name is Daryl and he lives in Hawaii and he's a content creator. And he was the first one to ask me like how I'm doing as a white person because he understands what's going on in my own life, I would have never gotten that um, from maybe like a white person. So for me, that was helpful to me. Um, And then also like throughout this whole process, listening, asking questions, um, realizing that this is a space that you're never going to become the leader of. And that's the, that's why I say like black, white people have the potential to become the center of the story, uh, the center of black lives matter. There's a lot of people like saying black lives matter that are white, but what I'm passionate about is saying black voices matter. Um, even more so than Black Lives Matter, because like when you say Black voices for me, that means you have to get out of the way and let them speak. Doesn't mean it's a difference. Progress is white people now saying Black Lives Matter, but the next layer to that is Black people having leadership to be able to teach us on entrepreneurship, to be able to teach us on content creation and things like that. So that's something that like I have in my life. And that is, I have people that that I can run ideas. I've recorded more videos than I can count that stayed in drafts that were rate that were, I was raging. I was so mad, but I have people in my life and I was like, Hey, what do you think about this? And my wife being one of them. And one of the questions that I get asked is like, who are you talking to? Is this against them who's racist or is this for something until it becomes for something? Don't send it. Don't post it. And social media, and I will say this publicly, social media is the lowest form of solidarity. And social media has been glamorized like it is the highest form of solidarity. But social media is supposed to be the fruit of your solidarity. And for me, people stop there because there's so many people, and I will not name names, but there are huge pastors, there's huge platforms. They think that because they posted about it, that they're good. They've never read anything. They haven't watched anything. They haven't had any conversations, but they're posting about it. And so for me, social media in the public eye is solidarity to so many people in specific standing. Um, or we posted the Blackout Tuesday Black graphic or whatever. Um, but for me, like to let yourself off of the hook, to you don't have to use your platform. Just walk into who you are, like in moments like this, you don't have to post about the shooting. You don't have to post about these things. Be guided by what it is that you're supposed to do. Because the interviews that I ended up, people were like, you just had random videos on there with activism. Um, but most of your videos are like TikTok or whatever. Like, what do you do? And so that's kind of like when I ended up on these platforms and on the radio station and talking about these things. It was, I just in the moment felt convicted and I knew I was speaking up for black people and I felt peace with that. And I, I sent it and it, and it is what it is there. 
to anybody wondering or listening that it's like in moments like this, I'm always pressured to, to post or not to post. And um, I do stand for black people. I am for Black Lives Matter. I do stand with them. If you're standing in your life, if you're standing in your heart for them, that's all that matters. If you're a parent, if you're standing with them with your kids, that's what matters more. That's the highest form of it. Um, for me, like whoever comes after you, whoever you're pouring into, like that is solidarity. Education is solidarity. Sacrificing that show that you watch to replace it with something else is is solidarity. I change like I learned that through this process on social media, if you're white, 91% of your feed is white. So for me, like throughout this process, my appetite, my diet, my everything like went to the next level. And if I don't stay on top of that, the same way in your physical diet, if you don't stay on top of it, like you'll just be like, oh my gosh, where do these love handles come from in your own life, in your diet with what you consume on social media or what you're doing within social justice? If you don't change your diet, you're going to realize that you're not standing in solidarity. And, and it's just, you have to be intentional as a white person. It does not come naturally. Um, what I've learned from the black community is when they walk out the door, this is their life. Um, so for me, when I walk out the door, I have to be intentional with my thoughts because it's easy just to drift and just to be comfortable and whatever. So thank you for your work. Thank you for your activism. Thank you for using your voice, for giving us an example and being a part of the solution. Gavin, where can people find you online? You can find me on Instagram and TikTok at the Gavin D's. Very last question. Let's say we were to go back uh, really just to, I guess it was getting close to a year ago. You talked about these people in your house doing this music video. You're creating content for them. You've been doing that forever, helping other people use their voice online, but you haven't, quote, given yourself permission yet to step up and use your voice online. If you were to go back and sit with that Gavin who's contemplating but still afraid, what would you tell him? Um, if I could go back and talk to that Gavin, I would tell him that people people are not thinking about what you're doing. As much as you would like them to think that they're thinking about what you're doing, they're not. Mm -hmm. They may think about it for five minutes, but then they're on to their life. Yeah. And so for me, that's what I would tell him is that just, just to do it, realize, give yourself the gift of done, get it done. Just post it, record it, do it bad, um, do it bad. That's a, that's a great piece of advice. For me, it was about the reps. It was yeah. about building um, that confidence. So that's what I would say. And to never again wait on permission from anyone to do mm -hmm. what it is um, that you're supposed to do. You don't need a parent to affirm it. You don't need a leader to affirm it. You don't need your boss to come alongside yeah. the idea or even your spouse if you're married. You don't. That's a hard one. And you don't even need that to walk into what it is that you're supposed to do. That's what I would tell them. Never again, wait on permission. And most people are not thinking about what you're doing. One of my biggest takeaways from this conversation with Gavin was this question that we need to ask ourselves as creators. Is my content speaking up for something or is it solely against something? I love that because it puts us in a position to ask ourselves, is our message speaking life, speaking hope, or are we adding to the noise, adding to the disruption, adding to the chaos, adding to the frustration? And as he mentioned, having a diverse voice in your life who can give you some honest feedback and a different perspective because it's so easy for us to get into one lane and curate a life that looks and sounds just like everything that we already believe and reaffirming that and the importance of intentionally adding that diversity in. Wow, a lot to think about, right? Incredible conversation. Connect with Gavin at the Gavin D's over on Instagram or TikTok. 
And hey, y'all, if you have not texted me yet, I would love to have a conversation with you, hear a little bit about what's going on in your life. All you got to do is text the number 501-214-4307. Again, that is 501-214-4307. We love you. We're in your corner. See you soon.